Good morning again. Our uh, pastor is away with uh, his two disciple groups, which my wife is in one of those. Uh, they're in Little Rock finishing out their two semesters of disciple. Uh, and I didn't get to go because I'm here with you. I was going to go with him. Uh, and then our uh, God pleasers are away. So, and this being a, a holiday weekend, I'm really glad that we have everybody here that we have here. We're going to do Romans chapter 5, but the way that we get to Romans chapter 5 is through Romans chapters 1 through 4. This is going to be the fastest overview you've ever had of four chapters of Romans, but let's get there. So in chapter 1, uh, in chapter 1, Paul begins talking about the heathens, the Gentiles, and how God's wrath is poured out on, on the unbelievers. It, it, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men. And so he says, the heathen is condemned. And so in chapter 2 now, he's anticipating that now, now he's, he's writing to to the first church, you know, is, is generally Jewish Christians, and Gentiles are starting to come in. So you've got this collision culturally happening of, of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and trying to work out um, the mechanics of all of that. And so Paul is anticipating in chapter 2 that Jewish Christians are going, yeah, Paul, you tell those heathens. They're condemned. And he goes, okay, let's talk about you. You have the law. You have the Ten Commandments. You've grown up going to church, and you're still a sinner. You know better, and you're still a sinner. He says, therefore, in chapter 2, verse 2, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, you practice the very same things. You know better, and you're still a sinner. So the heathen is condemned, the Gentile is condemned, and even those who have the law, the Ten Commandments, they go to church, they have their Bible, they are condemned. Whoa. And so in chapter 3, he says, we can't be saved by following the law. Verse 20 in chapter 3, for by works of the law, no one will be justified in the sight of God. You can't be good enough. You can't follow the law. You can't obey the Ten Commandments because you're going to mess up at some point. You probably did a long time ago. You cannot be justified in his sight. So what then? He says in verse 28, we are justified by faith. We are made right with God by faith, apart from works of the law, Paul says. We are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by believing God's promises to us. And just in case somebody says, now Paul, this is kind of a new thing, isn't it? Are you making this up? And he says, go back to Genesis. The very first book of the Bible we have is Genesis, right? He says, go back to Genesis, and let's look at Abraham. Genesis says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. What happened? God came to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I know you got no kids, but I'm going to make you the father of many nations. In fact, look at the stars and count them. And Abraham said, one, two, three. Okay, I'm in. Let's do this. He believed God. And God said, my man, 
It was counted to him as righteousness. And somebody may hear Paul's telling this and say, okay, well, I'm a Jewish Christian and I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham, so that's good for me. Or, or a Gentile might say, I'm not a descendant of Abraham. What does that mean for me? And then Paul masterfully argues this point. He goes, you know, when, when God said that Abraham believed and God counted him as righteous, did that happen before or after he received the covenantal sign of circumcision? You know, Jews look to circumcision, that covenantal sign that they are identified with God and, the, and their nation, their people. They would hurl that as an insult to, the, to their enemies. David, when he was going to slay Goliath, said, you uncircumcised Philistine, the uncircumcised. And Paul argues, he goes, you know when God says Abraham was justified? Was that before or after he was circumcised? It was before. So then he says, so, Abraham is the father of all who believe, whether they are circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you are a Gentile or you are a Jew, whether you have the law or you do not have the law. He says, he is the father of us all who believe, who are justified by faith. That's one through four. So Romans chapter five says, okay, so then we're not saved by the law. We are condemned until we believe and it is counted to us as righteousness. Romans five verse one says, therefore, since because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are days I don't feel the peace of God. But I know by faith I have peace with God. I have been reconciled to Him. So let's go to verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6. And Paul's going to explain what happened in Jesus, what He has done for us. And he, he talks about this state of fallenness we're in. He says, and watch for these words, He says, we, are power, we were powerless, we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were enemies. Not a good starting point for us. For while we were still weak, while we were powerless, without strength, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Now, when I made a decision to teach Romans chapter 5, I didn't even think back then that that was Memorial Day weekend that we're doing. And that's exactly what Paul says. We just, we just saw um, uh, that our fallen soldiers honored in the video. And Paul says, yeah, sometimes a hero will lay down his life for a good cause. That does happen. Happens rarely, but it's noble when it happens. You might lay down your life for someone you love. You might lay down your life for your country, your brothers in arms. But God did something different, he said. He sent Jesus, and Jesus died for his enemies. Only God does that. God, verse 8, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For us, instead of us. While you were still a sinner, Christ died instead of you dying. It is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. He is the substitute and the atonement for you and me. This is the gospel. 
that Jesus died for you. Now look, as we, as we move through the, through the rest of the end of this chapter, how many times Paul says the, the, the phrase, the term, much more. That was almost the title of the message, much more, but Christ our righteousness just sounds better. But much more. Verse 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, because of this, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If you are saved, you are saved from the wrath of God. If Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner, how much more confidence do we have now that we have been justified? I'm not God's enemy anymore. I have been justified. I have been saved. So how much more? Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Do you hear that? We are reconciled. We're not just let off the hook. It's not just a get out of hell card, which would be good enough. But he says, we are actually reconciled to God. The relationship is there. We were enemies, and now we are in relationship with him. Not merely forgiven, but reconciled. If God did this for you while you were his enemy, how much more do we have in him now that we have been reconciled? Much more. Verse 11, more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Now, Paul's going to move into this fascinating um, explanation of, of Adam, our father, the first, the first father of the human race, and what, what Paul calls the last Adam, who is Jesus. The first Adam and the last Adam. And he, he speaks of this also in 1 Corinthians 15. You can read that on your own. But listen to this. When God looks upon the human race, he sees two men. He sees Adam and he sees Christ. Note the many times as we move through this that Paul uses the term one man. One man did this, one man did this. One man. He says it, I think I counted 11 times. Verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Sin came into the world because of Adam. Adam was was the first one to sin, he and Eve, and sin came in the front door of creation, as it were. And because of sin, death came. So it comes to us, sin comes, came into creation, and death, it says, spread to all men. It's, it's the idea that it went through it, it permeated it. When I, was, when I was in college, and maybe my roommates weren't so good about cleaning up dishes and stuff. We got bugs sometimes, and we had those foggers. Do you remember those? I'm sure that was really healthy to set those things off in your house. But we would bomb, roach bomb our place. So it just would fog, you would leave, but it would fog with poison and kill all the bugs, right? That's what happened in creation. Death fogged everything. It permeated us. We all have inherited sin from our father, Adam. We are identified with him as the head of the human race. His sin is our sin. His death is our death. This is why the doctrine, one of the reasons why, the doctrine of the virgin birth is so critical. We are all born sons of Adam, but Jesus is not. Jesus' father is God the Father in heaven. Jesus had no human father. 
he could not be born a son of Adam because Adam is in sin and death. He was born of a woman, but Jesus is God the Son. He is eternal. He has always existed. He has always existed. Now, he took on about 2,000 years ago a new nature because he was born to a woman. The first Adam was the first Adam was created but not born. And the last Adam was born but not created. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, verse 13, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, that's a little bit confusing. Sin is not counted where there is no law. What does that mean? Have you ever been speeding and you didn't know how fast you were going and you wasn't, weren't really sure what the speed limit was in that particular stretch of highway, but you knew you were speeding? And then you saw the sign and you looked at your speedometer and the state trooper told you how many miles an hour over you were speeding. So now you know it is counted 27 miles over the speed limit. So before the law came, it was not counted. We knew we were bad. We knew we were sinners. We just didn't know how bad till we got the Ten Commandments and the law. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. Yet, even before that, even before Moses, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. All right, so that's what the first Adam accomplished for us. What did the last Adam do? Jesus, the last Adam. Note the contrast. Now, you're gonna, Paul is going to contrast, and he's going to over and over, he's going to say, it's not like this. It's not like this. Because I'm expecting him to go, well, Adam did this, and like Adam did it, Jesus did this. But he's saying it's not like it. Why? The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more, there's that phrase again, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that the one man Jesus abounded for many. So, so how is the free gift not like it? Because of degree. He's already told us. Much more. Jesus isn't simply a mirror image, an opposite of Adam. He isn't simply as good as Adam was sinful. Jesus is much more. He is the Son of God eternal, all-powerful. He reigns. That's why the sin or the free gift is not like the trespass. Verse 16, the free gift of salvation is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. You note that, who will receive. By default, we're in Adam. By default, you're not in Jesus. It's there for you, but you must receive it. For those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. To obtain the free gift, you must receive it. You must believe. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus obeyed, unlike me and the rest of you. Jesus obeyed. Jesus didn't just come on Good Friday. 
and die on a cross. He was born and for 33 years lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived the life I could not live, died the death and paid the penalty I could not pay. The great exchange. I get his perfect life. He took my sin. It's more than forgiveness. It's a perfect life lived. When Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what he meant. You are either in Adam and lost, or you are in Christ and saved, and there is no middle ground. Adam, there are the two representatives of mankind. Adam, which is sin and death, and Jesus, which is righteousness and life. Every person is under one or the other. Which one represents you? You were born in Adam. Does Jesus represent you before God the Father? If you have never trusted in him before, I invite you to do so today. If you have trusted in him, worship him for everything he has done in saving us and that he is our head, our representative. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you have reconciled us to the Father, that you not only paid the price for our sin, but you lived the perfect life that we could not live. Thank you for saving us, and we will give you glory. May we make you known to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to know the love of the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.